0: Will you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 16? It's a final message for me as a lead pastor. Last week, I wanted to focus totally on Jesus, primarily Jesus, centrally on Jesus. And so the title of last week's message was, Sir, We Wish to See Jesus. Jesus. For our final message, I want to preach on a theme that I have preached many times in the past, but really want to focus on the love of God. We'll be looking at three small sections of Scripture. You're holding in your hands the holy word of God. It's the living word made alive by the Holy Spirit. It's eternal, never changing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. This is the Word of God. John chapter 3. I'm actually going to start with verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Turning back to the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. Continuing now in the word of God. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land, until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our final portion of scripture is found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the Church of Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to see Jesus this morning, and in seeing Jesus, we want to better understand your love for us. And in seeing Jesus, we want to become more like him, motivated by your love for us. We want to see Jesus this morning because we want to follow his example of how to live a life that's like your type of love, agape love. Help us by the power of your Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of the message is The Love of God. In 1962, arguably the greatest theologian that lived in the 20th century came for the first time to America. He was a German who God used to successfully ward off liberal theological teaching that was sweeping the world and rendering the church nigh unto being impotent, powerless. Karl Barth was a man that God appointed to stand in the gap. He was a mighty theologian. He came to America, and he visited Chicago, came to the University of Chicago, and did a series of talks at the Rockefeller Chapel, that great Gothic Chapel. At the conclusion of all of his teaching, he may have had somebody planted there, but there was a distinguished gentleman who stood up during the question-answer period of time, the conclusion of all these talks. And he asked Karl Barth, sir, can you sum up all of your great theological teaching in one phrase? Karl Barth paused for a moment, then he said these words. I can sum it all up with the words that my mother taught me on her knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I want to talk to you today about the love of God. When you open up the cover of your Bible, you turn to page one, you turn to Genesis chapter one, verse one, and you see there that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He created the land, the water, the plants, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the oceans. And as he finished every grouping of his creation, he would look upon it and he would reflect and say, it was good. It was good. He completed his creation with making mankind, man and woman, male and female, in his image. And as he looked upon all that he had made, including us, the image bearers of God, he said, it was very good. It's good, all of creation, including us, because God our Father is good. He is a good Father. And in his goodness, he created everything that we see and know. But God our Father, who is good, is also love. And in his love... He created everything. Perhaps it was his motivation for creating everything. The Bible goes on to say that when it comes to the creation of everything, heaven and earth, the waters, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the psalmist in Psalm number 136 says, after every one of these categories of things that God created, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, For he is good, his love endures forever. So you see, our good God, who has written this great book, and who has created all that we know, he is both good and he is love. He's a good father, and we are loved by him. But then came the fall. In his love, brothers and sisters, he made us in his image. And in his love, he did not make us robotic. He did not make us in such a way that we would love him back because we had no choice. We were simply automatons, made in such a way that we had no choice. We were going to love him back, no, In love, he gave us the ability to choose him, to choose to love him back, to choose to honor him, to obey him, to follow him, to glorify him. Satan was in that garden, the serpent, in that early stage of humanity's life, and he talked to Eve and persuaded her to go against God. Instead of choosing him, she And Adam chose self. In their pride and in their arrogance, they chose self. Self Self-rule. Self-autonomy. Self-rule. And they fell into sin. Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And this terrible sin that entered into the world through Adam and Eve created a barrier between humankind and their creator, their good creator, their loving creator, God. And it's the reason right now, brothers and sisters, why this world is in such a mess. And it is getting messier. The world is in a self destructive, prideful, arrogant mess. It's increasingly becoming deformed because it was God who formed us. And the further you get away from your God who formed you, the more deformed you're going to be. Systems will become deformed, organizations, the world, and each human being as an individual The further we draw away from God, the more deformed we become. The more steeped in sin. And we become restless. And the world is restless right now. And humans are restless, filled with anxiety. And they can't quiet the restlessness. No matter how much they get on social media, no matter how much they acquire, there's a restlessness. Why is that restlessness there? Because Satan is a restless one. He's a restless wanderer, roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Augustine, the great theologian, one of the greatest of all time, had it right. Augustine said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. God created us in such a way, whether we want it to be that way or not, He created in us a longing for him. We are shaped that way. We are formed that way. That in the very core of our being, we long for God, for a relationship with him. But this longing for this relationship is mutual. When I said that Augustine had it right, it wasn't just that he created us for him and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Augustine prefaced that phrase with these words, thou hast created us for thyself. Do you see that God longed for a relationship with you? You have been created for that. He longs for that. He loves you and he longs for this relationship for you. And this is agape love. God's love is agape love. It's steadfast. It's unconditional, it's unchanging, unwavering, his love. This morning we're considering, as we come to the communion table, what does God's love look like? When we talk about agape love, what does it look like? Then we come to the rescue, redemption, redemption from the fall, rescue from the fall. Humanity, when we fell, we became helpless, helpless sinners facing judgment, and we couldn't reverse our condition, our plights. There was nothing we could do to return to God. We couldn't love him back. We couldn't restore the relationship, and we couldn't change the outcome of our sin, which was God's judgment and his wrath. We were helpless. We couldn't love him back. We couldn't fulfill our part of the covenant agreement of loving one another, but God could keep it. God could keep his side of the covenant because it's agape love. It's unchanging, unending, unviolable, unconditional. It's agape love. And so we have this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life We don't want to miss this morning, though, brothers and sisters, that when we say that God gave, that's a euphemism. It's a soft way of saying what that gave meant, and that is the cross. Our passage here, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, is is talking about himself being lifted up. But before he tells Nicodemus about him being lifted up because of God's love, he reminds him of Moses in the desert long ago, who lifted up the serpent on a pole. And all those who were afflicted with snake bites could look upon that serpent on the pole and be healed. Jesus knows that he is the ultimate healer for sin-sick souls. We look to Jesus by faith and will be healed. God is demonstrating his love for us. That's what this message is about this morning, the love of God. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross. Augustine, again, had it right. Here's what he said long ago about the cross. He said the cross was the pulpit in which Christ preached his love. The cross was the pulpit where Christ preached his love. The depths of his love, though, who can plumb it? How do we get so deep? The deep, deep love of Jesus that we just sang about, how do we plumb the depths? His substitutionary atonement, Jesus Christ taking on our punishment. The Bible that we just read here as we consider the depths of his love said that Jesus Christ was on this cross. He was cursed, brothers and sisters, because cursed is everyone who is on the tree. The Blessed One, the Holy One of Israel, now hangs cursed on the cross. The Bible says that from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the whole land, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Years ago, when I began ministry in Black Oak, started the martial arts school, we would get asked to do demonstrations around the area, sometimes in the Chicagoland area, and then I would do a talk. I would conclude, or somewhere embedded in the talk that I would have, I would always include what was my favorite verse. And we just said my favorite verse at that time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I always wanted to remember and do all I could to take hold of the depths of the love of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world is my favorite verse now. But at that time, it was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when I considered it, like we all do here this morning... We take in what Jesus Christ in his love is doing for us and what God in his love is doing for us. Jesus Christ is taking on our punishment, our curse, our wrath. He's taking upon himself the bent of our life, where we were heading, and that was eternal separation from God from our Creator, from our good God, from our loving God, who is all good, who is all love, our God, eternal separation. For some, that is the ultimate expression of hell. Whatever your concept of hell is, a literal place, probably, but for sure it's that condition of being separated forever from all that is good and all that is love ultimately expressed in all that is God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what Jesus cries out in his love for our sakes. He does that so that we would never have to say those words, so that we, through our faith in Christ, trusting in what he has accomplished for us in his perfect love and in his perfect sacrifice, would never have to say Can you even pause in the moment right now this morning and to just think about what that is to say for the rest of eternity? Your life is so short. There are some children here. There are some that are older. Some of you may be 80 years old. That's such a tiny life. But just think about for all eternity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to know in the depths of your heart it's because you never in humility turned to Jesus. And you have loved ones, brothers and sisters, who are in that position. You have friends and you have neighbors who are in that condition, about ready to face those words forever. Jesus Christ said those words on the cross so that we could hear these words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection, has reconciled us to God. And now once again we have what was lost. It's been restored, this relationship with God our Father who is good and who is love. And now we hear God calling us his beloved children. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us enables us to call back to him and say, Abba, Father, you're my Father. Jesus is on the cross to give us that opportunity When you think of his suffering, what was the father going through when he's watching his son on the cross? The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Bible says that when Jesus looked upon Jerusalem and saw that they were unrepentant, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was grieved over Jerusalem. He knew what they were about ready to face. Do you think that your Father in heaven is impassive? Is he so all-knowing that he has no feelings, no emotional tie with his creation? You look at Jesus and you see the Father. You see Jesus weep. You see him troubled. And you are made in his image. Why do you think you weep over sad things? Why do you rejoice over glad things? It's because you're made in his image. Part of that image bearing is bearing those emotions that also reflect his. His are perfect. I don't agree with the theologians who say that God was impassive. As he watched over that scene at Calvary, I disagree totally. The Father's love, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. And he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why do you think it was dark for three hours? God made that creation. He made the sun, moon, and stars. And they couldn't watch What was happening on that cross because of love. Brothers and sisters, when we turn to God, when we turn to Christ in humble faith and childlike dependence upon the, the good Lord, not like what they did in the garden, filled with pride, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, humbly put our faith in Christ, The Bible says that we're united with Christ. We want to talk about how deep this love, how thorough, how pervasive. It's not just that He did this to take away our sins and to give us the opportunity to be forgiven. There's more going on here. This love is so incredible. We're united with Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him. We join with Jesus, going through the cross, being crucified with Him, buried, and then raised to a new life. We're alive in Jesus. And that's what Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 said. Christ is in us now. The one who loves us is in us. And we in him. For I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives within me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. And because we're united with Jesus Christ that way, literally united with him, he in us and and we in him, this is what undergirds, what supports, this is the supporting pillar of our theology when we talk about our assurance of salvation. Our assurance of salvation. How do I know I'm going to be saved now? Now? Tomorrow, forever, because Christ is in me, and I am in him. And there's nothing that can pull us apart. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch me, you, out of the Christ's hand. But it's not just that we're in Jesus, brothers and sisters. Would you take in this morning that we abide in his love? Neither angels, demons, death, life, suffering, persecution, things to come, things that are, anything else in all creation, height, depth, no matter how you want to put it, there is nothing in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus Our Lord. I wish, I wish we didn't get distracted so easily and so often from contemplating that we're alive in Jesus and we abide in His love. From cover to cover, this Bible that we hold in our hands is a story of the love of God, our Creator. From Genesis to Revelation, he's restoring all things through his Son. He's restoring us and has restored us to a loving fellowship with God, humble now, wiser now. We have the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We worship him, and we're knowing a dimension of love that we would have never known without the fall. Did you ever consider why did God allow that? He was giving us the free opportunity to love him back. But there was a dimension about love that we now know that we would have never known without the fall. And what is it that we know about God because of the fall? His mercy. Another layer of his love. And God in us and through us is also restoring all of creation through Jesus Christ and our faith in him, restoring us to be stewards and caretakers like we were in the beginning New creation, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. Such beauty, such beauty. The new Jerusalem, which will be descending to this world. The entire earth will be made anew, renewed. The trees of the forest will clap their hands. They will sing for joy. The fields will exult and everything in it will as well. The earth will rejoice and the seas will roar, the Bible says. And the wolf and the lamb will lay down together. The leopard and the goat will lay down together. The calf and the lion will lie down together. A little child will lead them. The little child will put his hand in the viper's nest, but no harm will come to that little child. Nothing comes to harm on God's holy mountain. And there's no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more death. And brothers and sisters, he's coming back. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back soon. There'll be a wedding to beat all weddings because God loves us. He's given us his son. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. That's important to me. When we dine in the back room in a little bit, you'll see the words above the cross there in that prayer chapel. And it says, Jesus loves us. It's important to me. It's important to you. It's important to Karl Bart the great theologian. Jesus loves us. God loves us. It's been important to the multitudes throughout the ages. We take in this love, this most precious aspect of his love, consideration of his love. It motivates us. As a pastor, as I step down from the lead position, I've wanted to lead you to Christ, to know him more, to become more like him. It's my responsibility. I close a message with the love of God because by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm doing all I can to motivate you to obey God, to obey his son, to serve him, to join him in working in creation, outside, out into the world. Do good. Give. Agape love, when I was talking about that before, you know what agape love does? It's always outward. That's why God created. He couldn't help it. Because that's what love does. It's not self-centered. It's not all about me. It's not all consuming. It's not about my agenda, my schedule, what I want to do. It's about others. It gives. Brothers and sisters, are you motivated by the love of God to be here to worship him? To give him his rightful praise and glory and honor? Are you motivated? If not, are you motivated by anything in life? than yourself. This is God's love we're talking about. It should motivate us to want to serve and to give, to create, to make things beautiful all around us and to bless other people. And I guarantee you that when you take that path of life, of living a life of love as Christ loved you, you will be more fulfilled Than you ever could be with your selfish pursuits. Ever. It's not even close. Forty miles north of New York City, on the mighty large Hudson River, stands West Point Military Academy. It's the United States Military Academy. And at the Military Academy, there is a cemetery. It's just West Point Cemetery. It's a national landmark, second only to Arlington Cemetery. There are only two civilians who are buried there in West Point Cemetery. Who are they? And why are they there? One of them is a lady named Anna Bartlett Warner, and the other is her sister, Susan. They grew up as girls on Constitution Island, which is located right in the Hudson River. And West Point, built upon the bluffs overlooking the Hudson River, also overlook Constitution Island. Anna and her sister Susan never got married. And they taught Sunday school for 40 years there on Constitution Island. At least Anna did. Her sister Susan died a little bit younger. And who were they teaching on Constitution Island? They were teaching the cadets from West Point. Their father was a chaplain at West Point. The two girls wrote a letter to the superintendent of West Point requesting that their island could be used as a place for Sunday school for the West Point cadets, and they came to Constitution Island. Every Sunday, rowing boats to get to the island. Suzanne was also a writer of novels, and so was Anna. Suzanne had been in the process of writing a book called Say and Seal. It was written in 1860. And in the book, Suzanne wanted to have Anna write a poem, because in the book, Suzanne had the Sunday school teacher who had a child in the Sunday school class who was dying, and Anna wrote a poem, and here's how the poem went in that story called Say and Seal, a bestseller of the time. Here's what the poem was. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong and the cadets loved that song and they loved the Sunday school classes. Two years later, a composer saw those words in that novel and put the words together that we now know. Suzanne and Anna were buried at West Point Cemetery, the only civilians to have been buried there, and they were buried with military honors." the love of God. Well, today we close the book of books. This is the grandest of all love stories, the grandest of all stories, and it comes to a close today. But it's a living book. There are still others who have not yet been written into the Lamb's book of life, whose names are not yet written in. This book concludes with these words, Jesus Christ encouraging us And here's what he says to us at the end of this great book. Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Our response back to him was, come, Lord Jesus. And the final words of this book is the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, in your infinite love, You have written us into this greatest and grandest of all stories, this love story. And Father, this morning, we thank you with all our heart. We thank you also for those who told us about Jesus. Use us to tell others about Jesus and use us to bring glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.